good evening. Good to see everybody that's here in person. Glad to have everyone who's there online, uh, whether you're on Facebook or Twitter, YouTube, any of those platforms. Be sure to like, to heart, to share. You can even do that from the sanctuary. It just helps to get the word out there even more. I want to encourage you to go to our church website at hollandbaptistchurch.com. It's there that you can download this week's worship bulletin, and so be sure to get that downloaded. Lots of activities that are coming up. If you need one of these in person, they're in the windowsills as you leave. And then don't forget our uh, children's worship bulletins from this morning. Those are also in the windowsill, uh, but under the info tab there on highlandbaptistchurch.com along with the bulletin as well as the prayer list. So I encourage you to take the time to get those downloaded and be praying through that prayer list. Uh, this coming week. And then also don't forget that you can do your online giving uh, there online at HighlandBaptistChurch.com. Go to the far right hand side, click the Give Online tab, a very easy platform there for you to do that. You can do that in person if you want, or you can do it through your offering envelopes that are in the pews in front of you. But welcome to everybody who's here tonight. Uh, Brother Mike, if you'll come and lead us, please. Okay, help me out. What song was that? What song were you playing? Holy is his name. I did not know that one. And it was probably written in the 1800s, so I should know how to. <laughs> turn your heels tonight. Let's turn and sing Jesus Loves Me. Uh, we'll do all four verses, Tommy. 344. <clears throat> Jesus Loves Me. Miss Pat. <clears throat> Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me, he who died, heaven's gate to open wide. He will wash away my sin, let his little child come in. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me, loves me still. Though I'm very weak and ill, from his shining throne on high comes to watch me where I lie. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me, he will stay close beside me all the way. If I love him when I die, he will take 
me home on high. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. When I was putting that song in uh, earlier this afternoon to the presentation there, I noticed that the tune is called China, uh, which uh, leads me to believe, I want to look up the story of that song. Many times there are some really good stories uh, to songs in our hymn books, uh, but I'm assuming it sounds kind of like a Chinese type. It kind of sounds like that kind of a Chinese tune. Uh, when you think about it in that respect. And so I'm sure there's some kind of history there to it, uh, maybe even some missionaries uh, that, were, uh, that came up with that song uh, to teach children in China uh, the, the good news of the gospel. Uh, but it says China over there in the corner for the name of the tune. I, I know if you look at um, It Is Well With My Soul, you'll see the name of the tune is Ville de Havre, uh, which is the name of the ship uh, that Horatio Spafford, uh, his wife and, and children, uh, perished on. And so uh, many times those tune names have a, a special emphasis there. So hopefully I'll get some information on that and be able to share that with you down the road. Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to Mark chapter 10, verse 13 through verse uh, 16. I've entitled tonight's message, uh, Like a Little Child. That was appropriate song. Uh, for us tonight as we think about uh, the children's song there that many of us know. Uh, many, you don't even have to really look at your hymn book hardly uh, to know the words uh, for that one. But we're going to begin in Mark chapter 10, verse 13 through verse 16. So we're finally moving away from Luke's gospel for a little bit. And then we're also going to look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 1 through 9, because Jesus is speaking about the same subject that we're going to see in verse 13 through verse 16 in Mark's gospel. So we'll start here in Mark, then we'll move over to Matthew uh, in just a moment. But let's go ahead and read verse 13 through verse 16. Let's stand as we read God's word in honor of his word. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and he said to them, Let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he, sh he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for this passage tonight and for the emphasis that you remind us of so often through the scriptures that our faith is to be a childlike faith. And so I pray that you'll help us to understand that a little bit more from these two passages tonight. Uh, Lord, that we might practice that and live in that type of faith in our lives daily. Uh, Father, I pray that you will use this passage to speak to the hearts of those who may not know Christ uh, and that they will, with a childlike faith, receive Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. But Lord, strengthen us through this passage. Help us, Lord, to understand your word and help us to take it and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Amen. You can be seated. You know, Jesus adored children, and children adored Jesus. In fact, it was the way that children were treated on this occasion that 
drove his blood pressure, if you will, through the roof. Uh, it shows not only how much Jesus loved children, uh, but there's a great lesson that we can learn here uh, from children. You know, it's natural for parents uh, to want the blessing of God uh, on their children. It's why we dedicate our children uh, in church. It's why other, other groups uh, christen uh, their babies. Uh, all those parents simply wanted was for Jesus here in this passage was to put his hands on them and to bless them. And the disciples, they started acting uh, more like bouncers, if you will, or, or some kind of secret service agents or something. And they, they stopped them. And notice what it says about Jesus. Jesus got indignant. Now, when's the last time you got indignant? You know what it means? <laughs> And some of us are scratching our head. What does indignant really mean? It's not a term that we often use, but indignant means to be full of anger at something that has been done wrong. Jesus was hot. I mean, he was furious here. Uh, this was one of the few times that Jesus was angry with his own team, with his own group. Usually, you find Jesus being angry at the Pharisees or the Sadducees, the religious hypocrites, if you will. If you want to make Jesus angry, though, uh, do anything to try to keep people from coming to him. In this passage, uh, we're going to see why it may seem like a little thing, like trying to keep some children from bothering Jesus, that it was actually a big thing because not only for what children are physically, but for what they represent spiritually. So let me explain. I mean, if you ever go into a job interview, uh, recruiters and, and personnel experts will tell you there's one question uh, you'll always be asked and you better be prepared to answer correctly. And it's this one, how do you measure success? How do you measure success. On one occasion, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked him this question. This is where we're going to turn back, if you will, uh, to Matthew's gospel in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 1 through verse uh, 9 is what we're going to be looking at here. But beginning with verse 1 through verse 4, Jesus asked his disciples this question. So it says in verse 1 of Matthew 18, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So in other words, kind of like that same question, how do you measure success? And they came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The disciples thought that ultimate success would be to be chosen to be the greatest in the kingdom. In fact, you remember the story that there were two of his disciples who even argued who was going to sit on which side of Jesus in his kingdom. You know, the disciples, when they asked this question, they're waiting with bated breath. But just as Jesus was very capable of doing, he did something totally unexpected. He bypasses their question and he does this. Look at verse 2. And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them. So he calls this little boy uh, in, into the crowd there, uh, calls him up to him and puts him in the midst of the disciples. And the disciples are stunned at this point. They ask Jesus a very serious, a very theological, eschatological question. And what is Jesus? Jesus takes them back to kindergarten. He brings a little boy into the midst of the group. And then he says this in verse 3. Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so here he's speaking to these 12 disciples, uh, these battle-tested, hardened veterans, if you will, who had been with him for these three years now and thought that they had it all together, thought that they were the ones who were ready for the prime time, if you will. And, that, that, and yet Jesus says, if you want to catch up to me, you've got to first catch up to them. That was totally contrary to, to their thinking. You know, one of the reasons why Jesus saw little children so differently uh, than the way adults did in that day is because even little children saw Jesus differently than adults did in that day. And, you, and it's even still true today. Uh, there was a, a little three-year-old girl who came home from church and she told her mom and her dad uh, that she had learned if you uh, invite Jesus into your heart, he'd come and live with you. And the mom and dad, they were so excited and they said, yes, that's true. And the next day, the little girl and her mother, they were sitting on the couch, and all of a sudden, the little girl, she leans over, and she puts her ear to her mother's chest, and the mother said, what are you doing? She said, I'm listening to Jesus in your heart. And after a few seconds, she said, well, what did you hear? And the little girl said, well, it sounds like he's making coffee to me. <laughs> Some gurgling there going on. You know, we laugh, but that's the kind of childlike faith that Jesus says anybody has to have if you're going to be a part of God's kingdom. If you want to catch up to Jesus, think it this way. You have to catch up to children. With Jesus, that means to do three things. Here's the first thing from this passage tonight. Accept the spiritual position of a child. Accept the spiritual position of a child in your own life. So keep in mind the background of Jesus' conversation here. The question is, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? In the passage over in Mark, uh, he's already uh, told them there, uh, the, the issue there. They brought the child. They were trying to keep children away from him, but uh, they come to him, and he's able to touch them. We're going to see that also uh, in this passage. But this is in the context of this question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now first Jesus makes a statement and then he draws a conclusion. Here's the statement in verse 3 of chapter 18. Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now amazingly, Jesus speaking to his disciples who are full grown adult men who, who had been with him uh, for, for those, uh, those years, those three years, uh, they had certainly grown a great deal spiritually uh, and it must have absolutely shaken them to the core when Jesus says this. He says, children don't need to become more like you, you need to become more like children. That's so contrary to our thinking even today. We think little children need to grow up and become like us. Heaven forbid that they become like us because we, we, we lose our faith so often. Uh, we stray away. Uh, we're not as excited as we once were in the faith. We need to become more like children when they accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. He said, children don't need to become more like you. You need to become more like them or you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, often as adults, we tell little kids, what do we tell them? You need to grow up. 
In essence, we say to them, you need to catch up to us. You need to be more mature, more adult. As spiritually speaking, Jesus here turns this around when it comes to faith uh, to get into the kingdom of God. He says, children don't need to catch up to adults, but adults need to catch up to children. By the way, did you know that statistics bear that out? The vast majority of people who decide to follow Jesus do it before they become of the legal age of being an adult of 18. Uh, the average age of conversion is 13. Uh, the, that, by the way, that's where, uh, why we're such strong believers as a church in, in ministering to the next generation with our WANA program, with our youth programs, with so many things we do in trying to reach out uh, to children and their families uh, throughout the year. So what is it about a child that makes it so important to become uh, one to get into the kingdom of God? Well, what Jesus is referring to here is the one thing that every child comes into this world with. In fact, they have no choice uh, in a way, and that's to trust. You think about a little baby. A baby has to trust those who are entrusted to take care of it, uh, whether that's uh, the parents or the grandparents or someone who's adopted them, someone who has foster care over them. They have to depend and trust on somebody else to provide everything for them, to wipe them, to clean them, to wash them, to feed them, to do everything everything for them. And so they come into this world uh, trusting. You know, no one is more trusting than a little child. Even without being taught, children learn to trust their parents, to believe what their parents say, to believe what, uh, that they're going to feed them, clothe them, take care of them, to know they can always run to them whenever they're in trouble. And that's exactly the kind of childlike faith that it takes to get into the kingdom of God. Now, understand this. As a believer, you don't stay as a child. You do mature in the faith. But to get into the faith, to get into the kingdom of God, your faith must be like that of a little child. And so spiritually speaking, we're not born with that kind of faith. And that's why Jesus said, unless you change and become like little children, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And that leads to the next statement. In verse 4, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so to get in the kingdom of heaven, to get into the kingdom of God, we have to humble ourselves like children. We have to do like what we talked about in this morning's message, come to the place that we admit what God already knows, that we're a sinner in need of a Savior. And to do that, we have to become radically changed because we're not humble by nature. We're all born selfish and, and, and self-centered and self-seeking. And from the moment we're born, pride and ego begin to sit in the driver's seat of our heart. Now, the Greek verb for humble there uh, didn't describe a very positive virtue uh, in Jesus' day. You didn't teach your kids humility because that, the word meant to crush. You don't crush your children, uh, bring them down, humiliate them. In other words, here's what Jesus was saying. If you want to get into the kingdom of God, the first thing you have got to do is get over you. Get over you. And to get over the idea that you're good enough to get into the kingdom of God on your own, uh, to have to, to get over that idea that you don't need any help from God. Uh, you've got to get over the idea that, that salvation is somehow this do-it-yourself product project, that if you do enough good things, you're going to earn your way uh, into heaven. Many people don't realize that apart from the grace of God, you have no hope 
of getting into the kingdom of God. You know what's wrong with so many Christians? We're childish, but not childlike. Jesus doesn't want us to be childish, griping when we don't get our way, pouting when we're confronted with something that we don't like or, or thinking we're the most important people in the world. We're to be childlike, having that innocent trust that there's a God who loves us and cares for us and that we need his grace and we need his mercy if we're ever going to get into his kingdom. What Jesus said to his disciples is this, before you talk about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom, you better make sure that you're even qualified to get into the kingdom and that you must accept the spiritual position of a child. The second point that Jesus tells us here is this, to applaud the spiritual decision of a child. Not only to accept the spiritual position of a child, but to applaud the spiritual decision of a child. You know, Jesus is on a roll with children, not just children physically, but, but big children spiritually. So he says this in verse 5. In verse 5 he says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And so you have to keep in mind how, how countercultural uh, it was that Jesus would use a little child as an example uh, for anything good. Because in the Greek and Roman culture of that day, children were considered basically non-persons. Uh, the most valuable person in the world in that culture was a freeborn adult male. <clears throat> he had the most value. If you think about children, you think about slaves, you think about women, they were at the bottom of the list in the culture of that day. Abortion was widespread. Unwanted children were abandoned and left to die. It was normal to physically abuse children. And in Rome, fathers even had the legal right to kill their children for any reason. And then Jesus comes along and he takes a little child who in the socioeconomic status is on the bottom of the list and brings that child and puts him up on the top of the list. Takes him from the trash heap of life, puts him up on a pedestal. No one before had ever set up a child as a model for an adult that said, this is what you need to be like. By the way, this love for children became so strong in the early church that the church was able to persuade parents to give up their babies to the church instead of leaving them uh, to die, which led to the first orphanages. You have to keep in mind that even though Jesus extremely valued children, though, these children represent spiritual believers. You know, people who realize that they're sinful, that they need a Savior, that Jesus is the Savior, that he died on the cross, that he paid for their sins, and they place their faith and their trust in him. So Jesus is saying this. He's saying that when someone becomes like a little child and comes into the kingdom of God, when we welcome them, it's the same as welcoming him. That's why as a church, we ought to always be welcoming, welcoming of every person who comes into the body, every person who comes even into the church doors. 
because we're all created in the image of God. Now, now, everybody's not saved because of that, but we're all created in the image of God. Whether that person comes in as it has been incarcerated before, or that person comes in and they've been a homosexual, or, or they've been involved in some kind of uh, drug addiction, uh, those people are all created in the image of God. And so when we welcome them, we're welcoming God into our presence. Now, they need to come just like we do by the faith of a little child to receive Jesus, trusting in him as Lord and Savior. And so that word receives means to welcome. It means to throw out the red carpet and to receive enthusiastically. One thing about children that's so wonderful is that they never lose the wonder. You know, they can still be amazed by the smallest things. I mean, you ever seen that at Christmas? You, you go and you buy some expensive present, and what do they want to play with the most? The box it came in. The simplest things. And you're like, wait a second, something's backward here. But, but they're just so in awe and so in wonder of the simplest things. You know, they can still be amazed by the small things and, and laugh at the simplest things. And they never get over it as long as they're children. A great example is, is Disney World. The first time you go to Disney World, you don't go with just adults. You make sure you take children. And you can't even put into words that joy of, of seeing that little child's eyes wide open, talking incessantly, laughing, and, and having the time of their life. And you have to be careful when you go to Disney World today when you go for whatever celebration they've got going on there that's ungodly. But uh, you, you take your kids to Disney and, and when, when the day's done, or, or you can even use Dollywood or whatever, any kind of theme park like that, and, and when you're ready to go, what do they want to do? They want to stay. They want to stay longer. You know, on the trip back, all you're thinking about is how much work you've got to get done when you get back, how expensive it was to go to Disney to start with, and how worn out you are. But all those children are talking about is, is Mickey and Minnie and Donald, and it's a small world, the parades, the fireworks, the fun. And for weeks on end, they keep talking about it. And by the time you walk out of that park on that last day, you're over it. But they don't ever want to get over it. Here's the point. Here's what's wrong with us as average Christians in the average church. We get saved and we get over it. We get saved and we got over it. It's because we got over it that we don't really welcome people who come into the kingdom of God. It's not a big deal to us anymore, although it should be. It's why we should never leave a church service early. It's why we should never think uh, that, that when we get to the invitation, oh, that it's okay, I can shut my Bible, we're done, it's over, I'm ready to leave. It's time to get to, to, to the food and let's go eat. That, that's really the time you want to stay the most and pray the most and ask God to do another miracle in that invitation time of making somebody into a little child so that they can get into the kingdom of God. I want to implore you and encourage you anytime we have an invitation. You may not be feeling the Lord leading you to step forward, but you ought to be praying for others to have that childlike faith to trust in Jesus. Whenever anyone with that childlike faith goes from death into life, from darkness to light, from lost to being found, from being on the outside looking in to the inside looking out, we ought to applaud, we ought to celebrate, and we ought to never get over the wonder of salvation. Here's the third point. Avoid the spiritual confusion 
of a child. Now with all of this as the backdrop, you can begin to understand why Jesus now makes one of the most frightening, bone-chilling statements of his ministry. Go to verse 6 and verse 7. And listen carefully to his words. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. What we see here is Jesus never gave a more plainer, a more powerful warning in his entire ministry than this one. He's talking about believers and even people who would want to become believers. They may not ever come to Jesus, or they may do, but they ran into sin and they believe false teaching or spiritual or fall to spiritual doubt. I, I remind you, nothing makes Jesus more indignant, more angry than doing anything to either keep people from coming to Jesus or trying to lead people away. From Jesus. Now the word here, cause to sin, is literally the word stumble. It's where we get the, the Greek word there is skandalizo, which is where we get our English word scandal. Uh, it literally means to put a snare in somebody's way. It means to trip them up, to cause them to fall, to lead them astray. And sometimes we don't do that intentionally. We don't set out to do that, but by our actions and by our words and by our deeds, we do that. So remember that we're not just dealing with the physical welfare of a child here. We're dealing with the spiritual soul of everyone. And so this is a hot button for Jesus. Let me just speak, you know, for, for myself here as a, as a teacher of the Bible and a preacher of the gospel. I don't want to ever do anything or ever be a part of anything or party to anything that would cause people to deny the Son of God, cause them to doubt the Word of God or disobey the will of God or disregard the Spirit of God. Jesus said that before you do anything that might lead another person into sin or lead a child into sin, uh, to lead a potential believer even away from God, he said it'd be better off if you were dead. Most of us feel like you can hurt me, you can offend me, you can do all wrong to me all day long, but if you do something to my children especially maybe even your, your grandchildren, you're thinking it ain't going to work out good for you. That tells you about how much concern God has both for his children and the people who want to become his children. And so that's why he said, I mean, think about the millstone. You've seen a millstone? Have you ever seen a millstone? You've not seen a millstone. You need to see a millstone if you've never seen a millstone. A millstone is, is a round stone. It's kind of a, a circular stone. Sometimes it'll have a, a square hole in the middle. I mean, the more common ones in, in, in our later times uh, have, have had those, a square hole that usually goes on a piece of wood, a, a, a four by four or something like that, a six by six that goes into it to be able to turn it so it can roll around and crush the grain, uh, whatever you're crushing, to grind up. Uh, the things that are there. It's huge. It's heavy. You can't lift it by yourself. And Jesus says, if you were to offend one of these, if you were to stand in the way and become a stumbling block to one of these children coming to faith in Christ, it would be better for you if you had one of those tied around your neck and you were cast into the depths of the sea. 
don't know about you, but I want to stay as far away from that as I possibly could. So notice what Jesus says in verse 8 and 9. He goes on to say, And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. He says, and if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. So what does he mean by this? If you do anything with your hands, if you go anywhere with your feet, if you see anything with your eyes that either causes you to miss God or causes somebody else to miss God, he's saying it'd be better if you cut those off and, and didn't have them so that you could enter into heaven. Now, he's not talking about physically maiming ourselves there. He's talking about spiritually figuratively. You better make sure that you're a bridge to Jesus and not a barrier to Jesus. You'd better make sure that you're a road to Jesus and not a roadblock. You'd better make sure that you're a way to Jesus and not a wall to Jesus. So let me give you a modern day illustration of what I'm talking about. I saw this in, a, in an article in the New York Times Magazine. It was written by Dana Tierney. Uh, she told about how she and her husband, John, who was also a writer for the New York Times, had rejected their childhood faith. They had this little boy named Luke, and they had baptized him. They, they had grown up, or John had grown up Catholic and wanted his son to be baptized. He had been baptized, but that was really just to placate their families. And so when her husband went to Iraq as an embedded reporter, understandably, she was worried. Dana was worried. But she was surprised at how calm her four-year-old little boy was, Luke. And she thought he just didn't really realize uh, what was going on until one day they were watching TV together and they happened to see this wedding of a soldier who had returned from Iraq, uh, thinking that he had really forgotten about his dad in, in Iraq. She thought, oh, it's going to be okay for him to watch this together. And, and so then the soldier uh, described how he was returning to Iraq and didn't want to go back. And then Dana said uh, she saw something for an instant that made her freeze and, and Luke put his hands together as if he was praying. And when she asked him about it, at first he denied it. He said, no, 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 I wasn't doing that. But then later he confessed that he was really saying a little prayer for his daddy. Dana said she was stunned, not only by the faith of her little boy, but how his faith, that faith allowed him to be calm and how her lack of faith caused her to be fearful. She's an unbeliever. She said that she was also embarrassed that her and her husband, even our modern world, had somehow made their little boy embarrassed to pray for his father in his own home. It was as if that mustard seed of faith, she said, had found its way into our son and now he was revealing that he could move mountains. When Dana asked Luke when he first began to believe in God, he said, I don't know, I've always uh, believed that he existed and believed that he loves me. And she concluded by simply saying this, that when she watches her religious friends, she notices how they have hope, how they have faith, how they trust, but she doesn't really get that message. She said that she was, she was the limited one. She's not a believer, but her child was being the example for her. And then she finished the article with these words as an unbeliever Help thou my unbelief. A writer in the New York Times magazine.
I can't help but ask myself the question, whatever happened to Luke? Where is Luke today? Maybe one day, Dana and her husband and so many others around the world will learn to catch up with the little children and know that we have to have faith like a little child. Don't ever lose that wonder and that awe and that joy of your faith in Jesus Christ. Once you come to him in that childlike faith, don't ever lose that. Because when you lose that, you lose the excitement of leading others to faith in Christ. And it doesn't become important on your radar anymore. And you begin to drift away from what God has called us to do to be his witnesses. Be like a little child. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this passage tonight. And so much more that we could even go into in this. But Lord, I just pray that maybe we're here tonight and we have some friends that we know. Or maybe we're in that place. Maybe there's someone who's watching online. Maybe there's someone who's present here. That your faith isn't where it needs to be. You don't have that childlike faith in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. And so, Father, I pray that uh, those individuals tonight would hear, have heard that message that you love them and that you care for them and that you've made a way for them through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. There's nothing else that they have to do. Father, I thank you for those who are coming to faith in Christ, maybe even watching online, maybe trusting now. Maybe somebody who will even see this sometime later. Father, I pray that you'll use this message in their heart to bring them to faith in Christ. But Lord, there are many who are here who have that faith in Christ. But somewhere along the way, we've lost the wonder and the joy and the splendor of the salvation that we have with you. The joy that we have in Jesus Christ. And so Father, I pray tonight that we will rekindle that faith. We, the flames of that fire will be rekindled in our hearts and in our lives. And Father, I pray that we'll just be so overwhelmed with, with even a, a, a giddy joy, if you will, in our hearts about what you have done for us and that we could not wait but to tell somebody else about Jesus and what he's done for us. Thank you so much, Lord. Lord, I think of, of the kids that I get the opportunity to, to teach in children's, church, in chil, in, uh, the children's chapel uh, during the week with our CDC uh, and that joy that they experience and that they have in learning, Je learning about Jesus, the Awana kids. Lord, I pray that we as a church would never uh, forget that, that that's one of the greatest ministries we have, that, that the average age is 13 of coming to faith in Christ. And Lord, that our, our ministries would focus on children and, and youth, uh, not to the exclusion of other things, but Lord, that we would realize that that is a great field that we have right before us to impact lives for the kingdom of God. And so Father, I pray that you'll help us to make the greatest impact for your kingdom that we could ever make by reaching out to children, loving them, and embracing them into your family as they trust by faith in him. Lord, bless us tonight in this invitation. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Brother Mike, come and lead us in our hymn of invitation. Would you stand as we sing?
so much for being here. Thank you for joining with us uh, there online. We hope you've had a blessed day today. Be back with us on Wednesday night at six o'clock. Uh, we'll be here for worship studying through the book of Hosea. Uh, we will have choir practice this Wednesday night. So those who are a part of that or thinking about becoming a part of that, come and join us Wednesday night after our Bible study time. Uh, but we're so glad that you were able to join with us today. You have a blessed week. We'll see you this Wednesday, six o'clock. Thank you so much for joining us.